This is Bail Street, Crime, Finance, and Everything in Between. Hosted by Ira Jettleson, bail bondsman to the stars, and Danny Moses of The Big Short fame, this is Bail Street. Welcome to Bail Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson. We have the Bear Traps Report founder, former Lehman trader, Larry McDonald on, who has gone on from the Lehman debacle to create a great name for himself. You had a great name before that. <laughs> Thank great you. Great name for yourself. And we had met shortly after that, I believe, uh, when we launched Seawolf Capital, and I had always followed you. I knew who you were. And the funny thing is here, before we get in, and Ira remembers the Lehman days, yes. um, it was bad for a lot of our friends that worked there. But the craziest yeah. thing to me was how smart the people were that you, worked, that you worked with and were around you, and how I keep saying to myself, how could that have happened, and what was the chain of command? And so in, in your book that you wrote about Lehman, uh, Colossal Failure of Common Sense, which was phenomenal, I think you autographed it for me, you kind of give the biography of what went on. But my first question is to you, and you talk about it in the book, what was going through your mind during that week leading up to the bankruptcy. So the bankruptcy was September 15th, but yeah. the shit was already hitting the fan uh, way, before the, that. way before that, in the months leading up. So you talk about a mutiny a little bit. You talk about what went on. So I'd just love to get your, your mindset. Well, it was uh, 10 years ago this quarter, I mean, third, fourth quarter, and um, so we're at the 10-year anniversary. The one thing I, I tell my wife, we've, we've sold about 650,000 copies now, the book's in 12 languages. And wow. once a month, I tell her, if we, honey, if we, as a former Lehman trader, I said, if we sell a million books, we'll break even on our Lehman stock. <laughs> <laughs> I sold some books. Yeah, I got, I'm also a, uh, an author. <laughs> the fixer. I think I'm at uh, six copies. Exactly. Well, that, that was the worst part, because the advice I always gave people, even my friends that were Lehman, who you knew many of them, I would say, guys, sell your stock. You already work there. This was a year before, two I'm years before. You you, you, I would say, just sell. You already make money by doing well there. Why do you need all your eggs? And some stock couldn't be sold, obviously. Some was put away in a 401k and all that. But I actually was just in the city recently having lunch with my mother, and Dick Fold was sitting next to me. Oh, no. And it took everything I had. To, I didn't want to interrupt I him. Like, it's not, you know, leave him Jeez. to his privacy. But I saw him, and I had this emotional thing came over me, like, you don't deserve, I, I thought, you don't even deserve to eat, to eat out. <laughs> You know, you shouldn't even, and he was in a corner, he was about, I won't say the name of the restaurant, I actually probably tweeted it, but he was in the back corner, and I, I think he was with his grandson or his son, I'm not sure. Thank God you kid. left him alone. I left him alone, <laughs> Mike, but I stirred up all these emotions, and I'm like, here we are 10 years later, you know, seeing that. So so from that, you you, you picked up the pieces and decided that you would basically, and by the way, before we get to that, you your, your desk was making a ton of money shorting housing, correct? Yeah, well, that? that's the thing, uh, if, at Lehman Brothers, you really kept your head down, you did your job, or you lost both. And uh, there was a group of people at the bank that were really trying to stop the madness. Uh, we were short subprime. We, we made close to $2 billion on our desk as a team. But for every dollar we were making, they were losing about $8 upstairs. But did they, you didn't see it. You know, nothing came out daily on a report because that ledger didn't exist downstairs, right? Yeah. It was, no, on, it was on floor 31 or wherever. He the was. one thing in the summer of 2008 when I approached my co-author, uh, Patrick Robinson, Patrick Robinson wrote Lone Survivor, <coughs> excuse me, with the Navy SEALs in Afghanistan. Yep. Yep. So I pitched him, thank you, I pitched him in, um, in 2008, when we realized in the summer that 36% of the net tangible equity of the bank, 36%, was in three commercial real estate investments. So that, was, <clears throat> that started to get around the trading floor in 2008, and I approached Patrick because Lone Survivor was a number one New York Times bestseller. Patrick, I pitched him on the book in the uh, summer of 2008, and we were up on Cape Cod, and uh, it was 4th of July, and I, a table of like eight people, 
And I pitched him. I said, I have this story. I'm a Lehman trader. And the whole table laughed because Patrick was coming off such a successful book. That book, Lone Survivor, became a movie with yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. And uh, so the table laughed. And, 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 and Patrick said, Larry, I'm working on Shimon Perez's memoirs. Right. <laughs> Come and talk to me in 2010. This is the summer of 2008. So I said, Patrick, you don't understand. If this bank goes down, it'll be bigger than Enron, WorldCom, Adelphia, right. and GM combined. Right. And he had a Chivas Regal on the rocks. He held it there for like four seconds. It felt like an hour. He put it down. He looked at everybody at the table. He said, Lawrence, if it goes down by the stroke of midnight this year, you have a deal. Interesting. Yeah, that's Little how, do you that's know, this, this will be a much more severe war than what he was covering or the <laughs> battle that he, that he was covering. So you, I, I just have a thing. So you talked about Glass-Steagall being repealed as kind of, and Michael Lewis has talked about that also before, but it still takes, you know, not breaking the law, but it still takes using shareholder equity and, you know, it's very brash to think that that's what caused it. But you still had to have the human that was effectively taking this thing to the leverage of the max. So... Fast forward what's going on now with Dodd-Frank and, and things that are happening now, uh, Volcker Rule kind of being pulled back, et cetera. What are your thoughts on that, having seen firsthand what can happen? So I'm sure you don't like regulation in the sense of Wall Street. And I, there's certain parts I do and I don't, but what are your thoughts now? W w this could happen potentially again. Well, yeah, it's going to happen more on the corporate side. So right now, triple B rated corporate bonds, triple B rated. There's 2.5 trillion of them. So that's borderline junk. 2.5 trillion of bonds, borderline junk. In the previous cycle, that bucket was only seven, eight hundred billion. So you've got 2.5 trillion of borderline junk. The entire junk market is only 1.2 trillion in size, right? So you've got companies like GE. Uh, this is where the next crisis is. But the good thing is it won't be the, the problem with the Lehman situation was it was big dominoes going down, right? So if Lehman fell, it would knock, you know, Bear Stearns, right. AIG. Today it's going to be a bunch of smaller dominoes. So it'll be a, a crisis that unfolds in a different way. But just every, in every, every decade, every crisis, there's another metamorphosis into another serpent, another beast. Do you think the ratings rating agencies again? I mean, you just said yeah. triple B. I mean, they may be triple C in reality in terms of where they truly are with spreads keep widening in terms of how they measure it. So we don't know. There are a lot of Covlight loans out there. We've, we've seen that. Uh, so here we go again, potentially, and you'll have the mom and pops get burned again with these ETFs, these fixed income ETFs, which you saw massive outflows, right? Yep. Uh, so I've, we talked about on the show before how that could be the canary in the coal mine of these ETF products with duration mismatch on loans that take 20 to 22 days to settle that can be sold or bought in 10 seconds, yeah. right? So. That to me is potentially what you know. You're, you're, you know, that's not cataclysmic in the sense of it doesn't spread like a AIG and a Lehman would, but it's still going to have a pretty big impact on on people yes. uh, and on companies' ability to fund themselves going forward because spreads will blow out. So, uh, is that I know you you write about that in Bear Traps. It's obviously one of the issues. One of the things you talked about was politics, which is the reason I'm sitting here and not managing money anymore, is because it hasn't been a fundamental tape for seven years. Um, and as soon as that became clear, I know my skill set, and it's not this type of market, right? Um, so when, is, when are fundamentals going to matter again, and when will politics stop mattering? Because you were early on that idea, and it takes a lot for Wall Street guys to admit that that is what's going on because everything they studied in life and models and so forth doesn't, doesn't pertain to anything right now. So what, is it going to take a washout? I've always said it'll take a washout in the market to get us back to a bottom-up table. Yeah, the, the passive – you nailed it with this passive asset management, which means that – 
an LQD ETF or one of these passive ETFs, they're so big and so when, 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 when a bond gets downgraded in a passive ETF, that ETF has to sell. Like there's no investment committee that reviews the process and says, wait, you know, so, so if, when, if GE gets downgraded, there's just a massive flush. So all the passive ETFs have to sell at the same time. And then the other ETFs on the junk bond sides have to somehow absorb this new paper. Uh, so yeah, so, so that, it's going to be, like you said, a flush over, uh, it won't be, I don't think it's going to be more like an 87 crash, but it could be like a 98 situation where you, you really wipe out a lot of uh, gains in the market. And then there's a cleansing process where people can finally, finally get back to real markets. Right. Because <laughs> one, of, one of the issues is, uh, and um, in equity ETFs and also in fixed income ETFs, to your point, Things get bought and sold, bought and sold. Well, you sell what you can when you get a redemption, right? So if, a, if there's a bond fund ETF and it comes out and $20 million is for sale, obviously. Most of it's computer-driven, but a lot of times it can't even sell the bottom-of-the-barrel stuff. Like the model knows it can't, so it sells the best stuff. Yes. So, and so what we're seeing now is a bifurcation. So we've seen in FANG, obviously, there's five, six stocks that account for most of the returns and most of the market weighting in equity ETFs, you're starting to see a similar where the best bonds and high yield go tighter by nature yep. and the worst ones get wider by nature. So it's just, it's not a healthy portrayal of, or it's not an actual por portrayal of what you're talking about as far as how many triple B bonds are out there right now. You know, you don't see it in the, in the charts of the ETFs themselves. So there's a disconnect and a false sense of security, in my opinion, of, and I don't know if you and, agree with that. But the big winner could be, so let's think of like, instead of just you know, focusing on a crisis, like where's this capital going to go? So you're talking about the fangs, you know, three, three trillion bucks in the fangs. One trillion of that is going to go somewhere and it's going somewhere today. Uh, you've got NVIDIA down 40, 50% from the highs. As Jackie Gleason used to say, the only problem with losing 50% of your money is you need 100% to get it back. Right. And true. so this is NVIDIA. NVIDIA loans wiped out a couple hundred, you know, maybe 100 billion. So that money is going to go from these, these big tech stocks, these fangs, into the staples. And you look back to 1999, 2000, the consumer staples, which would be the XLP ETF, XLP. This is like you know, major food-producing companies, recession-proof companies that pay dividends. And so what's going to happen is because of what we're talking about in the credit markets, with all of that junk paper and all that tri those triple Bs, there's going to be a real thirst for the highest quality dividends within the S&P. Because if you think about all the debt... Dogs of the Dow, basically. Yes, because the rest of the S&P, the dividend quality, is, is going to get crammed down. So there's going to, I think the, the staples, consumer staples, could be up... 30% from here over the next six months. If you look back to 1999, 2000, in those first years of two, first six months of 2000, staples were up 30% because the money came out of big tech. Growth to it, value, basically. It growth to value. That's, that's right. where the money's going to be made, that right. shift. And Ira, just to bring you in the mix here on, on this, you know, NVIDIA. Do you know why NVIDIA blew up? Um, fill me in. Well, because you guys are so goddamn fucking smart. Oh, I no, I no. wish I had a low. No, I'm going to tell you because you're. <laughs> Your little Bitcoin fantasy that you've uh, had? We're talking about cryptocurrency, yes. Okay, so NVIDIA was the, one of the chips that's used for the mining and so forth. And okay. so obviously with Bitcoin dropping to, I hope you're out of it at this point. I'm we so in it. Oh, God. God help us all. You can, you can bail yourself out. But that's one of the reasons is that NVIDIA was seen as this darling and it was a, it was a play for Bitcoin uh, uh, mining and Ethereum and all this and stuff. The, the CEO's comments on Thursday, Friday were just unbelievable. He, he said, oh, you know, Eve's going to say we underestimated the... The shift away from Bitcoin mining and 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 they they just didn't give any visibility to investors, which is shocking, right? So right. it's like you, 
you, you have this have huge hole with. in the balance sheet, and you just kind of throw it out at the last minute. Right. And then, um, so you had also made a comment that you thought the Fed was playing politics or has been playing politics. I've, I've never seen it that way. I've never, I've seen as the Fed is completely independent. Um, yeah. Other than not trying to disrupt things, they actually go out of the way, I think, to be non-political in, in certain ways. But you had made the comment before. So I'm curious, do you think the Fed, you know, expectations are they go next month, uh, win this LA or probably be around that time period in December. Um, and then there's two or three hikes probably for next year. You obviously are under the impression that they may be overshooting potentially. I don't know what your current thoughts are. And I'm on the belief that the yield curve is going to invert. So for those out there, I think the two will go over the, the 10 in terms of yield. Me too. And, and I'm not saying that signals a recession, but it, it's, it, it's not what causes a recession. It's what tells you that the market is telling you they're going to hide in the 10-year yields. Because they so I'd love to get your thoughts on that because it's very topical right now. So here's, here's really good. The beast in the market, that serpent in the market, and we saw this in 2015 and 16, is – what happens is the Fed tells the world the economy's strong. We're the only major economy in the world that's really hiking at an aggressive pace. So the U.S. dollar has ripped higher. And what has that done? It's crushed emerging markets, crushed Germany, crushed China. Uh, and in term, Germany does a lot of business with emerging markets. And so that the, the global growth in the economy has come down so fast that now that's feeding back to the United States. And now our, and lo and behold, oil prices, oil's down in a 25% from the highs in like four weeks, which right. is crazy. That's a crap. I mean, that's a That's massive, a literally 25% yeah. in four weeks in and the it, major asset. Yeah. And think of what that does to U.S. corporate bonds. So your recession risk in the United States, uh, because of the credit markets, has just gone up by like 20%. And so here, once again, the beast in the market, the Fed, like, okay, Mr. Tough Guy, we're going to hike, like you said, four more times between now and next year. That's what they, that's on the policy path. Yeah. If they stay on that policy path, we will crash, like 87 crash. So the beast in the market is going to break the Fed over its knee, and the Fed's going to do in December a one and done, just the way. Now get back to politics. Take, take us back to 2015. The market was that summer of 2015 because of the de China devaluation was going down about 15, 20 percent. And just like today, in March of 2016, Janet Yellen, they had promised us for 2015 and 2016, the Fed promised us eight rate hikes, eight of them. Okay, and before the Trump election, they only hiked once. Which but, they, is, but they were anticipating more growth than there actually was occurring. It yeah. was being shown. But a lot of a lot of that data gets skewed. You can't, you know, it's not real time. It's backward looking. But they did move the goalpost. I mean, it really was Bernanke with the QE policies yes. and and so forth that saved. I'm sure you wish he had come in September 12th instead of you know post the fact that to, he could have saved Lehman. But it, it's really I don't I just don't see it as political. I see them as not being correct all the time. That's for sure. They're going to overshoot here. There 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 is no doubt. But I was just curious to get your thoughts. So. If a guy like Ira was looking to put money to work right now in the market, where would I put it? Where would it go? To staples uh, well, and to emerging markets are like literally bend through a bear a bear market. So there are certain emerging markets that have massively underperformed the United States. Brazil, with a new government there that's very market friendly, that's a good spot. So that's uh, the Brazil. Uh, I think it's EWZ. And then you have uh, China. Now, China's China equities, the FXI, you're talking about they're in a, in a bear market as well. That's so, so what's happened is the emerging markets have been through the ringer. In the United States, the best place to be, like I said, consumer staples, telecom, areas that are more recession-proof with better dividends. 
But uh, I think that, um, you know, those are the spots that you want to look at. Do you think gold, it just gold seems to me is a great long here. I haven't, I haven't yeah. read your comment. It just seems like it's a great risk reward. It may not do anything. I realize it's not a yielding product, but still, it just feels like if you get, if you happen to get inflation, which who knows, but, or QE comes back or they stop unwinding, that's gold would go oh, berserk. I forgot to mention gold. So we're, we have a position in gold and silver now. Okay. We're losing money on the silver. We got in too early, just got into gold. But here's why. Don't to sell you, Blake's jewelry yet, Ira. <laughs> Hang on to it. Sorry. To your yeah. point, when the Fed backs away, you look to 2016. Once again, 2015-16, they promised us eight, right, eight rate hikes, and they only delivered two. When they backed away in that March, gold was up 50%. So to, to your point, when the Fed backs away from rate hikes and that policy path, gold and um, gold gold miners were up 50%. Gold was probably up about 30 and silver as well. And so if we go into that situation like 2000. Uh, 11, where they really start to back away and go go potentially toward back to increasing the balance sheet, that's when silver, and you remember it's some, it's from 2010 to 2011, silver was up 75%. Right. And that's not an industrial commodity as much as like palladium or something else that's used. Because the housing market, obviously, copper, for instance, is more of an economically sensitive yes. metal than anything. It's not used for store of value. It's used actually for, you know, industrial. So... Yeah, and housing, as you've noted, has been rolling over for, and that's, I mean, from a consumer perspective, there's nothing that's more tangible to a consumer than their, the value of their home or if they've just overpaid or if they're looking to buy one and their monthly rate, right? So housing is probably being underappreciated right now as a somewhat a canary. It, can, it, well, think about Connecticut. Uh, I have a friend with a home in Greenwich and, and another friend in Norwalk. I'm in Connecticut. I'm in Westport. But yeah, they're, da they're, they're down 50% from to so a $3 million house. 10 years ago is worth 1.5. Think about it. They were hit with Dodd-Frank, right? So yep. that hurt a lot of the sales and trading sure. people on Wall Street. Then they get hit with GE left the area, yep. right? So that's a massive amount of income. And then they get hit with this salt, you yep. know, salt and the salt. The one thing Trump, uh, the Trump administration totally misjudged is the impact of salt on those voters. So you get states like, states like uh, California, a district in, in uh, Orange County that's been Republican for I think 50 years just went blue, yeah. and that's because of this salt. I mean, it's just really done a, a damage to the American homeowner. Uh, so yeah, I think I like the home builders here because the sector, because stocks like Masco, Mohawk Industries, the largest carpet maker in the United States, yeah. these stocks are trading like six times earnings, and they're down 60 percent, six zero percent the last six months. Yeah. Also, by the way, you failed to mention how bad the trains are. Have gotten worse. So since the those trains two, are worse now. Since those two bad accidents in the last five years, they've slowed the trains down. You cannot get from. By the way, if anyone wants to buy my house in Westport, just <laughs> give me a call. But uh, these trains take an hour and eight minutes. You know, hour and nine minutes. So it just it changes the dynamic of that as well. So yeah, I, I moved from Westchester where Ira is. Yes, Ira, your home's doing fine. Don't worry. You're, you're, I you're, think I'm maintaining over there. Yeah, I you really think so? do. Yeah, I, I like Westchester. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice. I mean, it's close to the city. It's nice, but. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. And you're right. It's not coming back either. And if it well, comes back, let me just say this. If, if, if rates come back in a lot, something bad has happened. So if, if mortgage rates peel back in, what happened? Right, Larry? I mean, what would have caused that? Obviously, a massive sell in the, in the equity markets, Yeah, I believe, a flight to quality. Yeah, maybe it, it buoys, but that's, this is Wall Street area, to your point. This is the Wall Street area. So, yeah, that's one of those things that, uh, you know, certainly going to keep an eye on. So Bear Traps report now. I looked. Uh, there's like five different ways to purchase it now. When I yeah, it was just one way, uh, five different ways. So congrats on that. So yes. you you put this out weekly, right? 
Yeah, weekly for the kind of uh, market recap, but we do thought pieces twice a month. Once, a month. Well, really, when something's pressing, we're looking at uranium now. We look for electric vehicles, nuclear power, and uranium, like trades that are multiple years in in, in the works. But uh, we try to do a special feature. And we're looking at oil now again. Oil's been decimated, and we want to try to figure out, okay, where's the oil call for the next six months? So you mentioned electric vehicles. You, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I've never seen you <laughs> comment on Tesla. Sorry, Ira. There we go. I mean, it's a combination of a Every lot of Every podcast. All Tesla. right. You have any thoughts on Tesla here? Well, it's it's remarkable that the, how well Tesla's performed versus the other fangs in the last month. Then you have... Pretty respectable investors like Mark Lazary came out and uh, talked up the credit. That was like a month ago. So I would he talked would, up the converts. Yeah, talked. Yeah, I think but this, converts are a different animal than. Yeah, but but I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're a, if you're a Tesla equity investor, you have to watch the bonds. And um, the last couple of months, uh, the bonds have actually been performing better than they were, say, in March. Right. Well, they're 86 cents, 87 yeah. cents. You know, yeah, so they're up three points from the lows. <laughs> right, but that's not indicative of a company with a sixty billion dollar equity no. valuation with you know it's over ten billion in, in debt. I just don't understand the disconnect of I get it. I get market technicals, I get short interest. You're a smart guy. I know you don't do necessarily individual stock selection, but I I believe that Tesla will be the name that's associated with this downturn. Meaning it's lured a lot of retail investors in. Yeah. It's a tangible product that's out there. It's going to blow up, and people are going to be left holding the bag. The SEC was late. The DOJ was late. And I believe the SEC didn't want to shut them down or didn't want to be too harsh because they knew they don't want to be blamed when it's inevitable, potentially, what's going to happen. That's the part. I don't, but I think it will, be, it will be associated when people look back in 2018 or 19. Hey, what was that? Remember Tesla? Might be Enron in 2000, but it was yeah. the bubble. Lehman in 2008. Again, it's contained and it's fine, but I don't know. I well, just, here's the thing. As a rule of thumb, when you have a $52 billion equity market cap, and then you have a, a bond in the company, the company's corporate bond yields close to 8%. Those two things don't Thank make you. sense. Thank you. They right. just they don't make sense. If you have an 8% yield on your bond, the equity market cap should be like $10 billion or less. Okay, I'm so, with you. So it's um, that's the, the warning sign is to watch the bonds. If those bonds... Those bonds break eighty cents. Uh, the think of the equity destruction because you still have fifty-two billion of equity. So if you're an equity investor, watch those bonds. They bonds, those bonds break eighty cents. That equity is going to lose. I knew you had it in you. Yeah. I knew that was deep in there on the Tesla <laughs> thing. So well, that's great. Well, that's a uh, great way to. Know. And of course, you have to rush out of here to go on CNBC. I'll come in. On, <laughs> I'll come in on CNBC. You want every time the market's down. Hey, Larry, uh, can you can can you come on? Can you come on? How can they, they don't call you when the market's up five hundred, right? They call you when it's down five hundred. But uh, it's good, very good for business. So go out and buy the Bear Traps report. And uh, Larry, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, for thanks. On. It's, it's been a pleasure. You. This is a, I love the studio. It's I love the energy you. in here. You, yeah. look, you look healthier and better than you did in 2008. That I can tell you. Well, getting younger, so. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. 52 years old. I'm still changing. Oh, you're going to be working. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You better get out and buy them. Maybe you better turn to the Bull Traps report. Yeah, soon, yeah. All right, Larry. Thanks so much thanks, for coming. Thanks, in. Right. Okay, appreciate it. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Bell Street. You can subscribe to our podcast at bellstreet.com or any other service that you use to download podcasts. We'll see you next time on Bale Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson.